Breathe in. Hold. Breathe out. Breathe in. Hold. Breathe out. Thank you to all of the preschool teachers, all of the child care workers, all of the people who help little ones. Being three years old is not easy. Rebel Harmony loves her new preschool. It's been a month since she's been there. She knows all of her friends' names, which we've helped her practice. She knows her teachers' names. We talk about all the good things she does at preschool. She brings home little packets of things she's colored, things she's made, projects. They have a great playground which unlike all the playgrounds around us for the last six months is open as long as the air is clean outside, as long as the fire smoke is not causing problems, which today and the last couple days it has not. Breathe in. Hold. Breathe out. She loves her preschool, but she doesn't like transitions. She wants to play at home. And when she knows it's time to go to preschool, she really wants to play with her toys at home. Avoids brushing her teeth because she knows after brushing her teeth means her shoes and her jacket and her lunchbox and out to the blue car. She was in full-on avoidance and delay mode from about 8 till 8.40 today. There's a low-level amount of stress for every parent trying to get their child out of the house when their child is three. I'm lucky that I don't have a busy day starting at 9 a.m. as soon as I drop Rebel Harmony off. I have some work to do, but most of my work is in the evening. So my level of stress is lower than some people's when they're trying to get their avoidant three-year-old out of the house. Breathe in. Hold. Breathe out. When your brain focuses on the goal of Getting a lunchbox ready and getting your child to brush her teeth. And the child knows this and avoids, avoids, avoids. There's a small conflict that builds. You want your child to do something. Your child knows that. Your child doesn't want to do something and your child doesn't want to leave. 
I can get into a loop of we need to do this and getting a little bit less patient and more assertive. It's inevitable. You feel a conflict and you assert, but it's not completely inevitable. And I realize that as she's getting older, I need to recognize what she's feeling first and give her a hug and hold her and ask her. So this morning at the top of the stairs, after she had wanted to give Pandy a big hug and not come downstairs to brush her teeth, I sat down next to her and I said, are you feeling anxious? Are you feeling a little bit nervous? She gave me a hug. She took a few deep breaths. She said she was. It helped. It helped me and it helped her. And with Mama's help, we got her shoes on and her hoodie on and we walked out the door to the car. Breathe in, hold, breathe out. I'm reading about the amygdala and how it's wired toward fear, how our primitive reptilian brains are wired toward threat, to perceive threat, to solve dangers, situations, to get ourselves out and to get ourselves toward security. With the other thing the amygdala does, which research has shown in the last few years, is that it's also wired to compassion, for compassion. When we see a person in need, our, our amygdala lights up. If we have empathy, it may come from that, that sense of obligation to help other humans. So fear is also connected to deep feelings of safety for others, not just for ourselves. Breathe in. Hold. Breathe out. It makes me think about the people in my life who are often driven, often seem driven by fear and anxiety, which I was for a long time, how I grew up and a lot of my teenage and 20s, teenage years, that feeling of self-consciousness, doubt, overthinking, dwelling in the negative, overanalyzing, relationships, both romantic and platonic relationships, basically focusing too much on the things that were beyond my control. Breathe in, 
Breathe out. Becoming a father, having a three-year-old to take care of, an infant first, then one-year-old, then two-year-old, now three-year-old. It recenters your sense of what's needed. Suddenly, thoughts that you could dwell on, you don't dwell on because you don't have the mental energy or the time. There's something more pressing right in front of you. So your brain goes towards solving that problem rather than finding a problem within your own psyche to create and then try and solve. Seeing what's in front of you is always was often more healthy than seeing what's in your mind. Breathe in. Hold. Breathe out. What do I mean by that, seeing what's in front of you? I mean nature. The way the wind moves through the trees, the way the leaves fall from the branches. the way birds fly, the way hummingbirds come up to flowers, midair, the way dogs investigate the smells on the ground. All these things are in front of us if we see them. Compare that with reading about Trump's illness. The first time in maybe four years that many of us have had any degree of empathy for a man who seemingly doesn't have any empathy. A man who so many of us have concluded is not really a human being in so many ways is an amalgam of all that's negative lacking compassion lacking humanity lacking reason lacking the ability to listen as we found out in the last debate if we didn't already know I also read about what his interruptions and uh, what his disruptions actually mean linguistically. Again, things that we probably already knew, but it helps to spell them out a little bit. an inability to listen to have a complete thought and to let someone else's complete thought come to the surface it's fundamentally about dominance and control being driven by your own fear what's strange to me is how 
people view that kind of aggression and assertiveness as manly or dominant when it's so clearly bullying and insecurity. But so many men are wrapped up in the inability to listen and in aggression. So in that sense, it makes, it's logical in a bizarre way that men view Trump as manly or dominant. Again, amygdala, cavemen view Trump as manly. And I'm not saying that with antagonism. I'm saying that in terms of the brain being driven by your amygdala and by that fear component rather than the compassion that's within that amygdala. When you sense weakness, you either want to support and help or you want to dominate. We don't sense weakness in others and remain neutral. We sense weakness in others and either want to help or want to stomp. I've never wanted to stomp, really. I've always wanted to help. But maybe I'm wired that way because my parents wired me that way. It certainly wasn't always around my environment when I played Pop Warner football. My coach nicknamed me Killer Hall. That's not a joke. I was nine years old. I was aggressive and fast. I had a, a brother who was four years older than me who made me um, made me good or improved my ability to maneuver and be quick and fast and shifty and because I was always running away from him after I provoked him. Big cat and mouse built into my childhood. So when I got on the football field, all of my anxiety and my aggression came out. And I kind of unleashed. I liked tackling, but I wasn't tackling correctly. I was tackling with my head first, which is actually bad for me and for my opponent. When you're nine years old, in 1989, nobody talked really about spearing, but that's, that's what I did. And sometimes I would run fast enough and hit people hard enough that they'd get hurt couple times and the insane thing about running into somebody and tackling them and then them staying down on the ground is that your teammates cheer you and your coach laughs and smiles and pats you on the on the back and says killer hall Thank goodness I realized I didn't want to be around football a couple of years later. I saw what that kind of aggression did to 
friends of our family, two of them in particular. They stayed in football throughout high school. One of them played in college in Division Three. Not to mention the damage it probably did to his brain. The culture of aggression doesn't help us manage our lives as we get older. Breathe in. Hold. Breathe out. The last word here on the amygdala to remember is that it can drive us to good. If we can step back from the instinct and recognize our humanity when we see Joe Biden stuttering and when we see him helping a 13-year-old with his own stutter, that is empathy. And that also might come from the amygdala. Joe Biden has actually been through all kinds of suffering in his life, tragedy, the death of his wife and daughter, later the death of his son, and in the last four years, in some ways, the death of <laughs> the death of cooperative politics and democracy that's really been happening since 2010 but here he is 77 years old and uh, rather than anyone having real compassion for him most of the headlines surround his cognitive decline his imperfections the fact that he's not an ideal candidate for some people on the left. But when you compare the two men on that debate stage, there is no choice. If you have some humanity, you know who you want to vote for. If you just want to crush your opponent and believe in cavemen attitudes you have no choice either you have to vote for the aggressive insecure fear-driven man let's just hope we get it right let's hope the election Let's hope the results are clear enough, early enough, that no attempts to claim that it's been rigged or altered or impacted by mail-in ballots or whatever else he wants to say. Let's, let's hope it's so obvious who won that none of that matters by December 1st.
Breathe in. Fold. Breathe out. Till next time, keep breathing. La Shana Tova. Shana Tova. Shana Tova. Happy New Year, Jews. <laughs> say, say Happy New Year, Jews. <laughs> say Happy New Year, family. No. We're just recording. No, I need something else.